This is Ned Ryan, and welcome to episode 40 of the Ned Ryan Podcast. Again, apologies, folks, for being somewhat inconsistent post-election, a lot going on, plans for 2021, etc., etc. But I want to take this opportunity in this episode to talk about a very critical date, January 5th. What is taking place on January 5th? It's the two Georgia Senate races uh, and the runoff elections, which will determine the control of the Senate, the U.S. Senate, which in many ways will determine the future of this country. Who controls the majority? We will find out. So will the Democrats be given full reign to pass their socialist policies, trample on constitutional liberties, pack the courts? Are are Republicans going to be able to resist these measures and preserve the legislative and judicial accomplishments of the past four years? So needless to say, there is a lot on the line in Georgia on January 5th. And past election results in Georgia runoffs have been promising for Republicans, but we all know with all the silliness and the fraud and the electronic voting machines and every every other thing that took place in Georgia November 3rd, a lot of it's not been fixed. And my, honestly, my first big question is who the idiots running the state, Brian Kemp and Secretary of State. Um, I can't figure out if they're mostly stupid or full stupid. But that all to say, uh, I, I believe with enough observation and enough legal teams down there to be on the ball we can prevent at least some of the stupidity and allow at least Loeffler or Purdue or both to actually win. And remember, only one of the two needs to win. So in this podcast, we're going to examine all of these different aspects. So again, the Georgia runoffs are going to determine control of the Senate. And here's what we know so far. David Purdue was down in the final pre-election real clear politics average by 0.7 percentage points to John Ossoff. And while he failed to clear the 50% threshold, he overperformed the polls. He ended up with 49.7 to Ossoff's 47.9. So he overperformed by about two and a half points. Well, that's a good sign. Again, we don't have to go through this again, but a lot of these pre-election polls were suppression polls uh, from the presidentials of the Senate. And while we saw complete blowouts in what were supposed to be close races in Lindsey Graham's race and Mitch McConnell's, Kind of the same, a little bit of the same dynamic on a much smaller scale happened in the uh, Purdue race, right? He overperforms the polls by two and a half points. So Ossoff got approximately 100,000 votes fewer than Joe Biden in the state, uh, while Purdue's vote total actually closely tracked uh, Donald Trump's. Ossoff has historically underperformed polls, which, of course, would benefit Purdue if the trend continues. In the real clear, uh, the final real clear politics average prior to the 2017 runoff special election in Georgia's 6th district, Republican Karen Handel was only up by 0.2 points. She ended up winning by almost 4 points. In the Georgia Senate special election, there were 20 candidates on the ballot. That include Democrats, Republicans, Independents, and others. Right? Jungle primary. Everybody runs. Somebody's got to break 50%. If they don't, the top two go to a runoff. So what happened is the two candidates that got the most votes were, of course, um, again, we're talking about the special, not Purdue, but now to Loeffler. So the top two were Senator incumbent Senator Kelly Loeffler and Democratic challenger Raphael Warnock. In the final Real Clear Politics average, 
Warnock had 40.5% points, nearly up 16 points on Loeffler, who was at 24.8. In reality, Warnock only got 32.9% in the first round, while Loeffler did better than expected, almost getting 26, making it just 6.6 percentage point margin for Warnock. Furthermore, when all the votes for the major party candidates are added up, Republicans appear to have obtained a 49.4% of the vote, while Democrats obtained 48.4%. Now, Republicans in the past have typically outperformed Democrats in Georgia runoff elections, typically because turnout's lower across the board, right? And that's Republicans have a base that will turn up, is more likely to turn up in odd elections, whereas Democrats usually just turn up their, their low propensity voters just usually show up for the big ones. So turnout's going to be lower across the board, and turnout typically drops off the most in the Atlanta metro area, which is, of course, the most Democratic part of the state. So Republicans have improved upon their general election performances in seven of the last eight runoff elections from 1992 to the present. And again, past behavior is not necessarily indicative of future results, especially in a bizarre I mean, I, again, I, it's hard for me to actually get my head around why there can't be signature validation, why you can't, can't clean voter rolls, why you can't check new voter registrations. I mean, the Secretary of State is a complete idiot in my, in my book. Like, what's the point in electing a Republican if you're this stupid? And um, while some of the trends in the past should be somewhat reassuring, We're in 2020, and obviously we're going to be just out of 2020, but those dynamics of what took place in the November 3rd elections, a lot of those are still around. But just to give you some perspective, 1992, U.S. Senate general, uh, the Democrats um, went into it plus uh, 1.6, but Republicans won by 1.3. Obviously, it was nearly a three-point flip. Uh, In the public commissioner race, 1992, uh, Republicans went in by almost a point up, but they ended up winning in the runoff by 13.6 points. Let's go to 2008, the U.S. Senate. Uh, In the general, Republican vote was about three points uh, advantage. In the runoff, Republican went to nearly 15 points. Uh, This was the most recent uh, Georgia Senate election to go to a runoff. It was, of course, uh, Saxby Chambliss running against Democrat Jim Martin. Uh, Chambliss Chambliss got 49.8% in the general election. In a year that was a lot more favorable, obviously, remember 2008, Obama year, more favorable Democrats, uh, only a tenth of a point higher than Purdue got this year, while Martin got 46.8, and then go to the runoff, uh, Chambliss got 57.4%. Okay, this margin of victory is not likely for Purdue this year, but uh, a similar victory can result if Republicans are motivated to vote against the agenda of a presumptive president-elect Biden. Again. It only happens if we can actually get lawyers down there to nip this in the bud and Republicans turn out in force because we don't want to hand Chuck Schumer the Senate. Uh, If you go, there's a couple other races too. Obviously, 2018 Secretary of State, Republicans uh, in in 2018 in that race made up about three and a half points in the runoff. In the public service commissioner uh, race, Republicans made up about a point and a half. So again, all shows historical trends. Republicans are usually gaining not insignificant margins from the general election to the special runoff. So 
what are some of the implications? If Democrats don't win Georgia's Senate seats, the hardest hit will be the Socialist Squad. And this is from the Federalist, who I love, Ben Dominich, Molly Hemingway, Sean Davis, uh, Chris Bedford, great people. Uh, with a close margin in the Electoral College, Democrats losing seats in the House. They failed to capture key Senate races, seats in North Carolina, South Carolina, Maine, Iowa, Montana. They failed to flip a single state legislature. Jonathan Tobin classified 2020 as a historic defeat for the progressive left and democratic socialism in the United States. He has said there was a 50-50 chance progressive firebrand AOC would mount a primary challenge to Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer in 2022, or simply go off and start a homestead somewhere, uh, retire from politics. So honestly, I think the big question is what happens over the next two years? I think progressives are going to be extremely disappointed, if I'm being honest, about some of the things that will take place during a Biden administration. I think they're going to get some of the stuff they want, but the Biden administration potential, and we'll see what happens over the next few weeks, but if Biden is sworn in, it will be a triumph of corporatism. All the big corporations, big tech companies, they're the ones that are going to walk away the real winners, and they'll throw some crumbs to the uh, socialists and progressives. But a lot of this, all of this to say, um, really what happens over the next two years is predicated on Republicans winning at least one, uh, hopefully both, of the runoff special election seats January 5th. If they don't, I would remind you, Democrats, with Kamala Harris breaking the tie, could pack the court. They could shut down the economy again throughout the country. They could implement the far-left proposals such as reparations, the Green New Deal, Medicare for All. Add D.C. and Puerto Rico's new states, quite frankly, for all intents and purposes, just shred the Constitution into to little pieces of, of paper. Do I think that Joe Manchin and a couple others might balk? Of course they will, but let's not kid ourselves. Joe Manchin is hardly a profile in courage when there's a lot of pressure on him. Do I trust Joe Manchin to be the last bulwark to actually fight uh, if Democrats get a 50-50 tie and Kamala Harris is the, the breaking tie? I don't trust him at all. Um, although he has come out and said he will not vote to end the legislative filibuster. Woohoo. So if Republicans hold the Senate, uh, Biden and AOC's far left agenda would be, for the most part, dead in his tracks. I fully expect if Republicans keep the Senate by one or two votes, they're going to betray us on immigration, for sure. Are they going to do some stupid stuff? Of course they are. Will they hold the line on 70 to 80% of the madness? Yes. Are they going to disappoint us? Absolutely. And I've made this very clear on TV and in op-eds because there's been some craziness. Well, maybe we don't show up. Republicans don't show up and vote in Georgia on January 5th. Don't be ridiculous. Now's not the time. And I know, trust me, I have been in D.C. 20 years. The establishment is full of horrible people. And I can't wait to punish them in the primaries of 2022. So I would tell people, as much as you despise the establishment, yours truly probably despises them more than anybody listening to this podcast, people should vote, hold their noses, and vote for Purdue and Loeffler, and we will settle the score in the primary season of 2022. So... Because they can stop the madness, hold the line, and during the primary season into the general, I honestly do believe Republicans can take back the House 
Because again, the first midterm of an election for the party in power in the White House does not go well. And by the time this is all said and done, I think Democrats are going to have three, four, five seats max, a majority in the House. And I think we could pick up the House. I think we can keep the Senate. We can damage Biden even more between 2022 and 2024, if he's still even in the White House. Because I have to tell you, I, I am not optimistic the man's going to last the first term. I'm not even sure he's going to last the first year of his term. But uh, that all to say, uh, I think that, that there can be a lot of good things done between now and 2022. The other thing I'm also going to say, and I'll talk more about this later in a future episode, that as a side note, Republicans had better do all that they can to focus on electoral integrity between now and 2024 and 2022. That should be one of the main goals. That's where a lot of money should be spent. Model legislation, overturning through, through legal challenges, this complete mess that Mark Elias and Democrats have made. And uh, get us back to some sort of electoral integrity. So back to, back to Georgia. Uh, Tobin notes that the Democratic Pennsylvania representative, Connor Lamb, believes that his party suffered because of the far-left positions associated with the squad. And then obviously to the entire Democratic caucus, such as defunding the police, critical race theory, and massive spending programs. Uh, similarly, Representative Abigail Spanberger uh, out of Virginia 7, and again, that was also a sketchy as heck election. Former CIA person, by the way, Spanberger, said in a recent party conference that we need to not ever use the word socialist or socialism again. She also was swearing up a storm. We lost good members because of that. If we are classifying Tuesday as a success, we will get effing torn apart in 2022. At least she's a realist, even though I have my questions about how legitimate her win was in Virginia 7. Uh, AOC and the other members of the far-left squad contend that the party suffered losses for not embracing far-left proposals even more. Right? It wasn't a close enough embrace. Uh, their views are objectively false, since they are in deep blue districts where the Republican Party is irrelevant. And they're also not that bright. That's another side note. Uh, and the only electoral competition they would ever face is their own party's primary, which, again, is never is going to be very hard to beat. AOC, Presley, um, because they're in such deep blue districts that are so far left, even a moderate Democrat is going to have a hard time unseating them. Tobin notes that if the GOP holds a Senate, then Schumer, Pelosi, and Biden will likely be more interested in the opinions of Lamb and Spanberger than of AOC. Uh, they know that a GOP with a strong populist working class base will be in a position to win back the House in 2022, holding ground in the Senate. And as is usually the case, the party out of power capitalizes on disenchantment with the incumbent president. So again, this leaves little room for AOC and the other radicals to accomplish more in the coming years. So with nothing to lose, I think it's likely, and I, I truly believe this, that the squad led by AOC and its allies are going to cease cooperating with the moderates and push even harder on, key, on their key issues. I, th I think you're in for a very interesting, next call, 18 months with the Democratic caucus when you start in January of 2021 going through to the summer of 2022, because I think AOC and the squad are going to drop any pretense of trying to do anything and work with most of the members of the Democratic caucus. In fact, I think they're going to line up significant primary challenges uh, to these these moderates inside the Democratic caucus. I think it will be full-on civil war coming into the primary season of 2022 inside the Democratic House caucus. So the, ba the party base wants a revolution, and they do. I mean, let's face it. AOC and the squad 
are far more representative of the democratic base, which has been eaten from within by the socialists and Antifa and Black Lives Matter and all that, than the actual leadership is. So there's a formula that I think is going to play us, not just for this you know, civil war, but I think there could be such a brutal, bloody civil war and so much dissension. I think it's going to further weaken Biden and Pelosi and Schumer. So uh, Tobin also notes that AOC is not interested in building a moderate majority, though she and her fellow, fellow radicals hold their no- held their noses for Biden in order to beat Trump. She'd rather there be a schism than to compromise on her socialist goals now that a radical legislative agenda is probably not on the table. Finally, he notes that while Democrats are dancing in their streets about their belief that Trump is defeated, the future of the party may be one of strife and losing further ground during a Biden presidency. The far left may turn out to be the biggest loser of 2020. One thing is certain, however, their influence will grow inside party ranks even if their policy goals remain pipe dreams. That's a formula not only for a more radical Democratic Party, but also for more general election defeats. To which I would say to Tobin, maybe. I'm writing a piece today uh, that'll hopefully go out either tomorrow or the next day at American Greatness, in which I say a reaction to corporate cronyism, to big corporations rigging a system and making it look kind of like free market capitalism when in fact it's bastardized corporate capitalism, there will be a reaction to that. And my fear is if you look back at history, turn of the 20th century, robber barons, all these you know, wealthy, uber-wealthy uh, heads of corporations rigging the system to benefit themselves and cutting out everybody else gave rise to progressives. And the progressivism that then took over restructured our entire government into administrative state and hollowed out our republic. That was the reaction the last time we had something like this take place. And so my argument in this piece is going to be, don't be so sure that after generations of young people being indoctrinated in bastions of leftist and socialist thought, that the reaction to this abuse of government, corporate abuse of government, doesn't, re- doesn't result in something stronger than progressivism, which would be socialism. So some think that you know, all of this with AOC is going to lead to more general election defeats. I'm not fully convinced of that. In fact, I'm deeply concerned, as is Tucker and others, that if we're not careful, uh, the strong reaction to what we're seeing today could, in fact, be socialism. But back to Georgia. What are some of the other things that are taking place? Uh, Democrats have suggested that out-of-state liberals move to Georgia to vote in the Senate runoff. So Breitbart reported on this. Uh, The Georgia Secretary of State's website made it clear to the Wall Street Journal that moving to the state only to vote in the runoff elections would likely amount to fraud. Uh, A spokesperson for the Georgia Secretary of State's office, which oversees, of course, voter registrations, declined to comment on how quickly someone could establish legal residency in Georgia, but cited state law that it is a felony to vote in Georgia elections if you are not a legal resident or if you are residing in the state briefly with the intention of just voting and then moving away. These are sensitive issues, and election officials are going to pay close attention to what is happening. In Regita, I think is her first name, Shino, University of North Florida political science professor uh, commented, and she's researched voting issues in Georgia. People should be very careful about doing that. People moving to Georgia briefly can work on campaigns and canvas for candidates, but voting in the state without intention of staying would be considered fraud, she warned. Despite these warnings, Democrats have encouraged people to move in the area to vote. So just as kind of a 
addition to that, the Secretary of State announced yesterday or today, they're not double-checking new voter registrations to see if somebody is actually going to be a long-term resident of the state. It's ridiculous. I, I just, again, highlights why American majority does what it does at the state and local level. We identify good men and women. We train them to be effective, go into the public arena. Politics is policy. How do you win strategically? How can you apply all of the fundamentals and win? And we have not been sending our best in the state and local politics. And I look at George and go, example A. But also look at the lockdowns. Look at how many mayors and city councils, governors, all of these people have affected your lives in the lockdowns. And then also look how they've affected your life in this complete screw-up of a 2020 election. It's because we haven't really paid attention to it. We've not been sending our best and brightest. And uh, I think Georgia is, is again, a, a big example of that. Uh, Andrew Yang, again, former presidential candidate for the Democrats, tweeted November 6th, The best thing we could do for Joe is to get him a Democratic Senate. There should be coordination of resources. Everyone who campaigned for Joe should get ready to head to Georgia. I'll go. It's the only way to sideline Mitch and give Joe a unified government. There isn't much time. The earliest day for absentee ballots to be mailed for the runoff is November 18th. The registration deadline is December 7th. And early in-person voting begins December 14th, today. Likewise, New York Times columnist Tom Friedman told CNN that he hopes everybody moves to Georgia in the next month or two, registers a vote, and then votes for two Democratic senators. Fraudulent, just FYI. Local Democrat activist Tamara Stevens posted on her Facebook page that Northern Democrats should come on down to Georgia to register to vote in time for the January 5th runoff election. In response to these calls from Democrats, conservative Democratic State Representative Vernon Jones tweeted the following, out-of-state liberals are planning to flood the state of Georgia in order to undermine the integrity of our election and vote in our upcoming Senate runoffs. This practice should be made illegal, and I'm calling on Governor Kemp to call a special session to make it so. As far as I know, Brian Kemp, who is worthless, has not done so. He's not done this. I have no idea what the point is of having Brian Kemp as governor of Georgia if he can't do some of the basic fundamentals of electoral integrity. So, far-left radical, again, AOC, said in in the following in an interview with CNN's Jake Tapper, well, I'm going to be spending the next couple of months doing everything I can to help and offer support to the work of fantastic leaders like we just heard from, like Stacey Abrams, and to make sure we don't have a Republican Senate majority, and that we win these races in Georgia, that we secure a Democratic Senate majority so we don't have to negotiate in that way. Of course, Chuck Schumer famously, if you've seen the video, it's been all over the place. On election, day after election, two days after election, now we take Georgia, then we change the world. Now we take Georgia, then we change America. The left takes both of those seats. Democrats, again, would have a 50-50 tie in the Senate with Kamala Harris being the tying, uh, the breaking um, vote. So far-left policies, what would a Democratic Senate do? And again, there's no guarantees. Again, Manchin's a total wild card despite his you know, promises to not let some of this happen, whatever. What are some of their plans? Increasing taxes, right? Defunding the police. Green New Deal, which according to some is tens of trillions of dollars, 93 trillion, 100 trillion, whatever it is. Open border amnesty, including, by the way, giving voting rights and taxpayer-funded health care to illegal immigrants. Uh, socialist health care, which is Medicare for all, $32 trillion. Uh, Cutting defense spending, statehood to D.C., Puerto Rico, maybe even the U.S. Virgin Islands, right? 
I haven't really talked about that, but there's that possibility that's been discussed, at least in some circles, that then you get six Democratic senators. Uh, pack the court, reparations, which according to some is about $14 trillion. Taxpayer-funded abortions through the entirety of pregnancy, which, by the way, they would then hand the bill to taxpayers. Yeah, even if you think abortion is an awful, murderous practice, you would get to, you would get to fund it. Democrats would, are, are working to make that happen. So, again, West Virginia's Joe Manchin has expressed his support uh, for the legislative filibuster, right? Doesn't want to see it done away with. He's opposed to the Green New Deal because, again, West Virginia coal. Uh, Medicare for all. He's against defunding the police, packing the courts. There's no guarantee that he would hold these positions, though, if Democrats take the majority. In fact, he's he's recently caved to the pressure of his party's leadership by voting to convict Trump, and he's voted he voted against Amy Coney Barrett. He only voted for Kavanaugh in 2018 after Susan Collins announced her intention to confirm him. Like his vote wasn't necessary, so at the last minute, goes all vote for Kavanaugh. But if he was the deciding vote, he wouldn't have voted for Kavanaugh. We all know it. And he was also up for re-election in 2018. Manchin uh, was a strong supporter of the Gang of Eight Amnesty Bill in 2013, which have given citizenship, including ability to vote, to tens of millions of illegal immigrants. And this, this, this is one of the parts where I think Republican senators have no backbone at all. I mean, the, the radical transformation of the electorate would give Democrats a near certain permanent electoral majority across the nation, which, if all else fails, then allows them at a certain point, if they don't stop it now, if Republicans don't stop this now, some of this talk about the voter fraud, universal mail-in, et cetera, is kind of pointless because they will have such a dominant voting block in some of these states. It doesn't matter, right? Because they have brought in and given voting rights to tens of millions of illegal immigrants, most of whom, by two to one margin, again, are going to vote Democrat because they want most, more social welfare. So... <clears throat> Again, go back to some of this immigration. There's no guarantee they're going to filibuster any measure around immigration. 14 Republican senators from the Senate majority, uh, back when they were in the minority, voted for the Gang of Eight in 2013. And with Manchin's support, Democrats could also vote to confirm anti-free speech, anti-religious liberty, anti-Second Amendment, radically pro-abortion judges, justices, cabinet members. These can all be passed through on a simple majority vote. Right, so if it's fifty-fifty and Harris comes in, she breaks the tie. You know, they'll get whatever they want on the judges and cabinet front. When you look at Eric Holder, Loretta Lynch, Hillary Clinton potentially being on the Supreme Court, how horrifying is that? Uh, Bernie Sanders' labor secretary—that's probably not going to happen. It's been mentioned, but it's probably not going to happen. Elizabeth Warren as Treasury Secretary again mentioned, probably not going to happen. Uh, Keith Ellison as Attorney General mentioned, probably not going to happen. Again, it goes back to. A lot of these progressives thought they were going to get their just desserts, rewards from the Biden campaign. I think they're in for a very rude awakening. I think they're going to be very surprised at how much they don't get. So what are some of the other issues that are at stake with these Georgia runoffs? AR-15 ownership. October 17th, 2020, Breitbart News reported Biden's gun agenda would cost AR owners $3.6 billion in taxes for guns they already own. Biden's gun control policy includes a provision that would require every AR-15 rifle to be registered under the National Firearms Act of 1934. Unless there were some form of carve-out, this would mandate American gun owners to pay a $200 federal tax per AR-15 they own. 
Since there is an estimated 18 million privately owned AR-15s in the U.S., the $200 tax would not only discourage such ownership, but would also come out to $3.6 billion. I just, you look at some of these issues, and you realize what's at stake. And I hear some of this stupidity being talked about in Georgia about potentially not showing up. You're insane. I can't believe, and I know, I will, again, reiterate, I am no fan of the establishment. I I dislike them so much, it's hard to actually express that in words. But you have to show up. If you were in Georgia, or anybody in Georgia, they have to show up on January 5th. And the Republicans down there need to get their act together to have a ton of observers, a ton of legal presence, to make sure that a lot of the stuff that is taking place uh, they can at least prevent some of it. I, I'm staggered by the Secretary of State's approving of the quote-unquote secure ballot boxes, again, pushed by Zuckerberg's uh, Center for, I think it's Tech and Civic, whatever it's called. I mean, some of the stuff that I'm seeing down there is absolutely stunning. I cannot believe that any Republican with more than a few brain cells would ever agree to any of these. So it's up to us to get up there, to get out there, to vote. To make sure at least one of the two, Loeffler Purdue wins, to give Republicans the majority to at least hold the line on some of the madness.